because retailers expect you to speak that language. They want to be told something new when you come in the door. They don't just want to be shown a product, but they want to hear something they're not going to hear from someone else. Hey guys, welcome back to the Wine, Whiskey and Weed show. This is your host, Sid Patel. Just before the show, you know, I just wanted to give a little shout out on uh, brands and, uh, you know, about the Bartender Spirits Awards. So for brands looking to get into the bars of USA, Bartender Spirits Awards is the place to be. This is where, you know, we rate and evaluate products which are the right fit for the bars. We send you review, we send you detailed feedback, you get a score breakdown, you get a tasting note, shelf talkers, and so on. So visit bartenderspiritsawards.com and take advantage of the super early bird pricing that's on. Hey guys, welcome to the Wine, Whiskey and Weed Show. This is your host, Sid Patel, and I'm here with Chris Spiegel, Master of Wine, just became a Master of Wine recently. And we're gonna talk about contract winemaking, you know, what it takes uh, for a winemaker to be in that sort of a role. She works for O'Neill Vintners, and that is one of the powerhouse when it comes to servicing supermarkets, con private labels, control labels, you know, bulk wine buyer, one of the key bulk wine buyers as well, maybe seller, she'll correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but that's where we'll head the conversation to. So Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you, nice to be here. Great, so uh, why don't you uh, give us a little introduction uh, to our community about you know uh, how you ended up in Master of Wine and then uh, in this company, like just give us a little rundown, please. Sure thing. Uh, I began my Master of Wine journey about 10 years ago. I started out with uh, WSET. I knew I wanted to do something different in the wine world, but wasn't sure what, uh, but I knew I liked learning. So I started on that road and um, had to take time off, of course, for life. Um, but ended up finishing this year. It was a great experience. Uh, I met a lot of wonderful people and I, I would recommend it to anyone who really wants to, to achieve a, you know, their, their personal best uh, yeah. in the wine world because it really is a personal journey. And um, where I'm at now work-wise is at O'Neill Vintners, as you said. I actually was working on the Sonoma Coast um, in Sonoma Valley for some years. And then I wanted to really do something different and break out of my routine. So I took a job with O'Neill, which entailed a move down to the Central Valley. I worked in winemaking down there. I was the director of winemaking. They're the seventh largest winery in California. Mm -hmm. So it was never boring. And then about four and a half years ago, uh, my family and I relocated back to the Bay Area. Okay. So I transitioned into a business to business role, which is what I do now. So I work on corporate a wine spirit supply for people around the country and around the world. Nice. So uh, it's great to uh, see both sides of the right thing. Uh, so director of winemaking, right? So let's start there. What does it include? Like, what do you, who are, who's, what's your core team? How many people report to you? What's going on that, with that title? What does that mean? It started out as two people okay. and then the team started growing uh, when I was there. And now I think there are 10 people on the team. Um, we're always adding new people, which is great, though I'm not officially part of it anymore. Uh, I keep in close touch with them. And it involves everything from connecting with the grower relations team, being out in the vineyards, looking at grapes, um, knowing what to expect, uh, assessing vineyards for possible grape contract, um, all the way to receiving the wine, making decisions about how to vinify it. Of course, there are protocols, but you always have to make changes in a pinch depending on the conditions, um, deciding on the maturation regime and streaming the, the wines into various programs, whether it's for a, a bulk customer or a national brand or a private label program. Got it. So the, the, the vineyard managers, winemakers, 
and everyone sort of uh, reports to you in one way or the other, uh, meaning you're managing that team as well, or, or, or you're ensuring the process is going, you're more of a buying, a liaison between a buyer and a winemaker? In our group at O'Neill, the winemakers and the grower relations folks are different teams. Okay. They all currently roll up into the same reporting structure now, um, but they're, they're very closely aligned. Understood. And so the, the winemakers are focused on what's happening in the winery, but you can't do a good job unless you understand what's happening in the vineyard and what's happening on the sales side too. So you're more of the, I would say in tech world, let's say if it, it's like consultant, you know, you have this client, uh, Walgreens, and then you're taking back to the development team and telling what to do sort of thing. Yes, this yes. Is what the there's client wants, you know? a lot of it is product development, right? Because yeah. we're we've been developing our own suite of national brands, and uh, we do many, many exclusive brands for retailers and other buyers. And then for our corporate clients who are coming to us, they're counting on us to make a certain style of wine for them year yeah. after year. And sometimes it takes a few years to find a place where we can work together, and then we need to know what they want. And there's a lot of intensive work that first year to determine what their style is. Yep. And then once we have that dialed in, it, then it's a little smoother sailing down the line. And then we're, we're their partners and making the style that they need. What, what kind of different revenue streams you guys have? Like contract, uh, private label, uh, bulk sales. You know, w what are the uh, pillars of revenue? Good question. So within wine, we have the contract bulk sales. Okay. Um, 90% of that is pre-contracted before harvest, and most of those are long-term contracts, three to five years or longer. Right. Uh, we do make about 10% for the after-harvest or spot market okay. wine that we intend to sell throughout the year. But the vast majority of the bulk wine is contracted in advance. Sold, you mean? It's, yes, absolutely. It, we, we know who we're making it for. We know what we're doing Got for it. them. And then we have our national brands, of which the biggest is Line 39. Um, Harkin, Robert Hall, Intercept, those are all important brands of ours. Um, Line 39 was with the Red Tree, right? When it started, like with Roy? Line 39, Red Tree, and, <laughs> and Backhouse yes. were all with Wojtekedi. That's right. We Got acquired it. those brands and uh, have been really, nice. Line 39 has been a powerhouse. For so that's your national brand? That, those are the national brands. And then we do what we call our exclusive brands, and those might be brands that we make for, for Total Wine, for Got Kroger, it. for Trader Joe's. Yep. Uh, and then... Um, apart from the wine is our spirits sales. And the most of what we're making on the spirit side, again, is contracted. We know in advance what we're making and who we're doing it for. And then we have some spirits that we sell throughout the year to, to people, you know, whoever they are, regular or new buyers. And in that, there is no bulk spirits sales. Those are bulk spirit sales. Uh, in, in a bottle or just actual no, bulk? No, bulk on, oh, a, on a truck got it. Or, or in a drum. Like MGV in ingredients, like those kind of, that business model. Yes, yes, but everything we do, Almost everything we do is grape-based. So right. we, we do brandy. We do a little apple brandy. We do some gin. Mm -hmm. um, we have done whiskey in the past. We've done vodka in the past. The, the vast majority of our volume is in grape product. Understood. What about trading? Do you guys do that as well? Like buy bulk wine and then resell it here in a smaller batches? That's not really a part of our business. We have become buyers. Okay. Uh, we, we will always be net sellers of wine. That's our model. Got but it. increasingly, as we diversify our national and exclusive brand offerings, mm -hmm. we have become buyers of wine as we develop new brands. Got maybe it. we don't have supply this year, or maybe we want to explore an area where we don't have current production, but yeah. we think it's a good... And what about export of bulk wines? Do you export to like China or, you know... We do nothing currently in China. Most of our export is to Europe, okay. but about 10% of our business-to-business -business line is going to export. 
And uh, that business has shifted over the years. It used to be a lot of high volume, low value business, yeah. a white zen generics, for example. Mm -hmm. And then in recent years, as that business has shifted away, uh, there are other people who have that business now. We focused on higher value production. And we have been selling more to um, the, the premium and super premium market. So Understood. something that might retail for 10 pounds on the shelf, for example. Got it. So we have uh, this bulk wine show, right? So we obviously have a lot of bulk wine suppliers, you know, especially from Argentina, Chile, Australia, trying to knock doors on supermarkets yes. here. You know, uh, what are, and as you know, this is a very secretive sort of industry. Like it's not like London or, you know, where the data is just there and we know Tesco is doing 50% of control label. So one thing is, you know, people always ask me of how much is going on. It's just a very secretive thing. Yes. But let, let me just reframe it this way that what, you know, if you want to crack into uh, Walmart and become their control label partner or even a private label partner, depending on the laws and whatnot, you know, uh, how do you know you even qualify for that? Like people underestimate, you know, what buyers are looking for. They, they want, you know, national distribution uh, vendor approved sort of things as well and you know what do you think are are the minimum qualification before you even go into that game of that level that's a good question uh, generally the larger the retailer the more complex and even byzantine their systems are for onboarding new programs mm -hmm. and new suppliers so to some degree being a larger supplier helps because in going back to tech terms, your, your systems can talk to each other. Yeah. Um, you have counterparts, for example, and you have the, the human resource power to, to fill out forms and whatnot. Also, a lot of retailers rely on auditing systems. Yeah. Um, ISO is great if you have ISO or BRC, but some retailers like Costco, for example, have their own audit system. And you need to be able to, to get through these audits. Yeah. Not to say a small winery can't do it, um, there are many small wineries that are very well run and keep exemplary records, yeah. but there are many who don't. So if you want to do business with these groups, you really need to be able to devote the resources to, uh, to working through their process because they're not going to change it for you. True. Right. And you also need to be able to, to do the administrative part of things. Now the, the benefit is if you have the resources to, to fall in line with the audits and the administrative things, then there's all, there can be a halo effect on the rest of your production where you actually have, have better methods uh -huh. that, that to cover your, your production and your, your record keeping because, because you have to be very, um, you know, very rigid about, yeah. about your practices. But, um, but if, you can, if you can do that and if you can roll with the punches and if you can handle the, some of the tender processes, yeah. which can be prolonged, you have to hold inventory, yeah. um, it can be very steady and profitable business. Got it. You know, you have to be, uh, capital is one thing which is uh, sort of comes down to, it boils down to that, right? Inventory, when you just say cost of audit and all that stuff and uh, data reports, right? Let's go there. So I remember uh, chatting with Broadland, uh, Mark Lansley in, in UK. Uh, so they uh, helped chains a lot by just providing the market research data, showing them this is the next trend before yes. those kind of things, you know? Do you guys do, uh, uh, do you help retailers pick up the next trends and show them some data things? Absolutely. Absolutely. We've invested a lot of people and resources in data analytics. In fact, our head of sales is extremely, uh -huh. uh, he's very astute and he's a wonderful presenter. 
and he is capable of, um, of really absorbing and, and dissecting and interpreting large groups of data. And he's been an excellent example for the rest of the sales and marketing team. So it's, I don't know how you can be a producer of our size and not look at analytics. Um, it would be very, very tough in this market because retailers expect you to speak that language. They want to be told something new when you come in the door. They don't just want to be shown a product, but they want to hear something they're not going to hear from someone else. Got it. So, I mean, we all know getting uh, the first appointment with that sort of large size change is sort of impossible, right? And it's just an organic thing, which you happen to not grow in the last month, right? It happened from day one and you build that relationship, you showed that trust. But a new person trying to knock a Walmart door, like what would we, what would you advise? Let's say tomorrow you change a job and you go in a little medium sized winery and, and the owner says, hey, Chris, we want to now start knocking doors on Walmart and I want my wines in Trader Joe's and this yeah. and that. How would you, what questions would you ask the owner and how would you take them there? One thing I would want to know is what the feasible holding time is for inventory, because you have to really lock up your inventory. If you offer somebody a program, you can't turn around and bottle it in two weeks. You have to wait for that process to come to a close. Same if you're, if you're working with System Belaget, if you're in the, the Nordic Tender system. Um, you have to be willing to hold on to your wine while they go through the system because you can really harm a relationship if the person with whom you're working yeah. needs your wine and you've, you've committed it to them and then you've sold it to someone else. So let me just dissect that. So there is an RFT, let's say, you know, uh, $18, whatever, Pinot Noir, Oregon, 1,000 case needed. Mm -hmm. And then you want to pile that aside for Walmart, for example. Yes, yes. And then after six months, you know, you got approved and da-da-da then you can immediately, they'll ask you and like, get me this. So it, it, you just don't know what's going to happen. That's right. You have to have the stomach for that process. You have to know how long it's going to be and you have to be able to weather it. Because if you offer wine and they say, great, we'll take it. Yeah. And you say, well, sorry, I'm already, I've already sold it. They're not going to want to come back and do business with you. So that's important. People need to understand that. And they also need... So inventory powers one, let's say. Yes, yes. You also need to go in maybe... Um, not to be pessimistic, but you don't get discouraged if you don't win the first round. Yeah. The first time you, you go to bat with, with any retailer, you want to um, win it if you can, but you also want to use this as a fact-finding process. Yeah. What are their timelines? Who's the buyer there? How long have they been there? How yeah. much do they know about wine? Do you need to educate them? Yeah. Um, are they, do they know what they're doing and they just need you to show up on time with the wines and, and fill out your form? So you need to to know, to learn what to expect. And everyone is a little bit different. And many of these retailers will just roll out these RFPs again and again and again. And, and you just roll the dice and you submit your wines. Maybe you just submit some forms and you don't even get to the point of submitting your wines, uh, yeah. but you, you can get accustomed to doing that. It helps if you have a person or a team that's dedicated uh -huh. to that. And then um, of course the enviable position is if you've worked enough with a retailer that you have a direct relationship with them and they come to you. That's the holy grail, yeah. is when you can advise them and say, hey, how about, how about this new program? Or have you thought of doing that? And then you have that direct relationship. But it takes a lot of work to get there. And what about uh, supporting uh, such big support programs and merchandising and programming? Mm -hmm. You know, what sort of programs work? Let's, let's, let me pick an example in this case of a national brand like Line 39, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you, your goal is to have 10K floor stack in this chain festival foods, for example, mm -hmm. you know, uh, what, how, what kind of support do you give them? Like I'll, 
I'll do a branded carton saying festival foods on that. I'll do a case card, store tasting each store, the basics, you know, the old style, but anything that I don't know maybe, or we don't know that uh, works in a mid-size or a larger chains more than the mom and pop stores. We, we do trade marketing. Um, I've, and trade marketing meaning ads in the trade magazines? Tra trade marketing is in targeted programs at the retailer or wholesaler level. Okay. So that's marketing that is not geared to the end consumer, but it's geared to one of the intermediaries, whether that, it's the grocery store let's, or let's the... Go, let's break that down yeah. in items, so sales incentives, uh, 3K stack, uh, RIPs, for example, or... Yes. Um, Whatever is legal, I mean, you know? It, exactly. Displays, promotions, okay. featured pairings, uh, okay. in-store tastings, cross-marketing yeah. um, uh, cross, cross marketing okay. with other products. Mm, all right. Like a packaged three-pack <laughs> Christmas pack sort of thing. Okay. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And of course, now we can't ignore... Um, Online cans. sales, online. okay, oh, cans, of course. Um, can't ignore. What, how can you support online? What do you do? Well, you can you can have coupons, you can have point of purchase incentives, um, and send to your list like Kroger coupons. Go buy this wine in Kroger's. Yes, or say um, I, I I'm old fashioned and I buy my groceries in person. But if I were going to um, to buy groceries online through yeah. one of many, whether it's a retailer or through a service. Um, maybe I go through my list and I'm going to the checkout and a window pops up and says, I noticed that you're, you put tri-tip in your cart. How would you like to have this bottle of Zinfandel or Red Blend? Yeah. And there, there are ways to develop those programs. Um, and and I, I don't do marketing. We have a fantastic marketing team. They are growing all the time. Um, and to show you, um, you know, we've, we've gosh, um, We've had, I think, at least two people currently on trade marketing. Those programs are really important, and they need to be tailored to the, to the season. There's a strong seasonality to the marketing and also to the retailer. So we work closely with our sales representatives and the distributors to see what these retailers need because sometimes they need different things and they want different things. They don't, if it's a small store, maybe they don't want to do a floor stack and a display. Maybe yeah. they'd rather do a coupon or some, some cross-marketing. If it's a big retailer and they have a lot of display space, Maybe they want a lot of graphics and props and things. So we try to listen first and foremost and then tailor programs to, to what people need and what they're telling us their buyers, their customers want to see. Got it. Uh, difference between control label and private label? The control label, we, we own it, but it's, it's just an exclusive with this particular retailer, this particular buyer. And a private label would be the buyer's label. That for which we're supplying the wine. Got it. So there is control label, private label, and brand, your own brand, yes. right? So when you sell, let's say you have this order from Kroger's control label delivered, do you even go back and worry about anything? Is this even selling? You know, in a, in a, in a not nice way, meaning mm -hmm. it's their problem now. You know, I've given the best price and I'm done with this. That's the max I can do. I'm not supporting this control label anymore. It's Kroger's responsibility to make sure they do everything from here on to deplete. You know, because well, line 39, you would take risk, right? It's yes, your brand. yes, of course. The, well, the thing is, um, if you're supplying a label and it's not doing well, it may not be your fault. Even if it's your, their private label? But it's label? your problem, right? You're right, yeah. So uh, we, we have a very robust supply chain team. So and even if it's their private label, you, will, you guys will make sure? We might support it in a different way. Different way. But we, we're still keeping an eye on it. We, we it. see the frequency of bottling. We look at the inventory that's on the floor. We take action, you know, if, if we need to push something or if we need to, 
to reconfigure how that inventory is going to be allocated. Um, we, and it depends on the program. It depends on the retailer, the market. Everything depends. Obviously, there are some priorities. Everything cannot be a priority. Yeah. Um, and, and some programs, especially if they're new, uh, you just want to kick it off and get it going. And, and sometimes you don't know if it's a 5,000 case program, is it 5,000 cases spread across an entire state or 12 yeah. states, or is it within one metro market? So you don't really know what the market saturation is going to be. That's up to the, to the buyer. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we try to take all of those into account. We have a really strong uh, national accounts team. So they're always watching those numbers. Uh, we, we really try to exercise care and guidance over all of our product when it goes to the market. Got it, got it. Cool, just uh, let's, this is the last question, Chris, is what are the tips you would give uh, for wine brands trying to get into the private label, control label game, you know? Uh, tips for the salespeople trying to knock doors and whatnot, you know, how can they grow that side of pillar? The first thing I would say is, you can't be all things to all people. So you should know what you do well and what you can do that is scalable. Because if you want to get into a the national accounts game, um, you're gonna have to scale. That either means your production or a co-packer production partner like us, like O'Neill. Um, but you need to understand that because if you send 5,000 cases to the market and then they come back and say, great, now we want 30,000 cases, does that mean that you have to stop making something else that you're yeah. selling profitably in the tasting room, for example? Does that mean you need to, to store wines off-site? All that has cost. So you need to, to really understand what your strengths are and what you're willing to do in order to, to scale your product and whether you want to be a producer that scales up your product. Yeah. And then I would say, um, again, you need to have uh, patience and you need to have, some, you need to have the, the human resources to be able to go through these processes um, and, and dot the I's and cross the T's and, and really, um, be able to do a thorough job on, on RFPs or tenders or anything like that. Uh, and then thirdly, you want to make sure that you can do a consistent product and most wineries, despite vintage variation, pride themselves on consistency, of course, that's part of being a professional. Um, but you need to be honest with yourself because if there's one thing that, um, that retailers really want is consistency from year to year. They don't want somebody returning a bottle yeah. for any reason. So you need to, to know that you can do that and feel good about that. Yeah.